All right, we are lucky to have uh, this week, uh, we have Lake City head coach Greg Berg. Uh, coach has had a lot of success in Lake City and two different stints in Lake City, but you'll tell us all about that here in a minute. But coach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for doing this. It's a, it's a great thing that you're, you're providing for the basketball world in Minnesota. Well, it's been as beneficial for me as I'm sure for anyone because I get to you know, sit here and listen to all the great coaches we have in the state, share their knowledge, and I get a front and center look, uh, view to it. So it's been really enjoyable uh, for me and a lot of learning, and I'm sure we'll learn a lot from you as well. So uh, I know you've listened uh, to some before. So your coaching Wikipedia page, where are you from? Where have you been? Uh, and then how did you get to Lake City? Yeah, I have a little bit of a unique background, uh, pretty traditional to start. I was, uh, I grew up in the cities, uh, Spring Lake Park, went to school at Winona State, uh, was kind of a tweener college player. So I, I really didn't play in college. Um, and, uh, but I coached all through college. I coached youth uh, traveling teams kind of all four years at Winona State. Uh, my first teaching job was in um, Lake City, uh, high school math teacher. And my third year as a teacher I, I got the head job replacing a legend Jerry Snyder Hall of Fame um, you know legend in Lake City I, I replaced him so I got that experience uh, for seven years I also uh, during that time uh, those seven years I, I was went back and got my admin degree not really with the intent of using it um, there's a group of people that were doing it and I thought it was a good opportunity um, but after that seven years was up I had an opportunity in Goodhue to be the principal and it was one of the few places where I wouldn't have to move my family and would take an admin job. And I had a really, really tough decision. I had a, I had a dream teaching job, a dream coaching job. I was our old coordinator on varsity football. I was head basketball. Um, I did assistant golf. I was teaching AP Calc and geometry courses I just loved. Um, and we were coming off of a 25 and two basketball season uh, undefeated in our conference, and I had to make a decision. And I kind of took a leap of faith. It was really hard to do because um, at that time I was 33, 34 years old. Uh, but I, I did it. And I went to Goodyear for two years, had a great two years. Uh, a principal job opened up in Lake City. Uh, I came back, um, and I was back here for another six years, and the basketball job opened up again. And you know, in the, that middle time, I, I had kids, I had a family, my son was kind of in that second, third, fourth grade. Um, it's our senior class that just graduated, so I had coached those kids, um, and I really got to see basketball from a different perspective. I got to see it from an administrative perspective. I got to see it from teaching a group of kids starting in first grade, second grade, and coaching them and, and how to develop, and uh, I, I, the juices were, were flowing to get back in, and I had a great superintendent that was very supportive um, at the time, Craig Junker, and I approached him about it and, you know, we talked and he supported me and I, I applied for the position. And, and to be honest, that, at, that interview, because of my role as a principal, it, I mean, it was a very thorough interview. They had a lot of people involved. Um, I, I probably, it's the most I've ever been intimidated in my life because I believe I wanted it so bad. Mm -hmm. um, but it went well. I got it. And, and I've been back doing both um, for the last seven years. And uh, we've had a good run, um, a great tradition in this in this community. And we've had a good run lately with, with some great kids coming through. What are some positives and negatives of being an administrator while coaching in the same district? 
you know, there's way more positives. Uh, it's incredibly busy. Uh, that would probably be the, the negative, but I'm a very organized guy and I'm a very efficient person. And I have a saint for a wife and my family um, has grown up with basketball. My, both my kids play. My son, you know, I got to coach my son during this time, which was great. My daughter plays basketball, so I, I do miss some of her games. Um, but the positives, the, you know, it is the connection and the relationships you make with kids that you coach is different uh, than you would as an administrator. And it's, it's like being a teacher. It's the same type of relationship. So, you know, my ability to just kind of impact the culture of the school and culture of basketball at the same time is more powerful. Um, you know, if I have kids at a volleyball game that are messing around, I mean, I just got to make a look and, they, I'm not just their principal, I'm their basketball coach. And, and so there's a different type of relationship that really allows you to impact the culture of the school. Um, that's probably the biggest positive. Um, our assistant principal is a head baseball coach. Our AD is a head wrestling coach. So a lot of our administrators are coaches and it's, it's been a real positive experience in our school. Awesome. So you coach, like you said, for what, seven years and then you were off. Uh, and then you've been back for eight years, eight years, you're gone for eight years. And now you've been back. So how, how, when you came back, did you feel like the game has changed in your second stint versus your first stint? Well, that's interesting. So my, my first stint, we were, I mean, we had good teams. We won the conference a couple of times. I always felt like I was a, and I still am a defense first type of guy. And that was my emphasis. I always feel that's the one thing you can control on a given night. I never really felt real comfortable with what we did offensively that first go around. I just didn't, I wasn't all in on it. Um, and then when I got out for the eight years, I, I really, you know, you step away, you know, and still being young, you, you get a different perspective from a youth program too on how to develop kids and uh, you know, looking for an offense for second graders and how to teach the game of basketball is not always easy. And, uh, you know, I came across, I actually asked a, a colleague of mine who had young kids at the time, and he pointed me to the read and react five out. And I looked at it and I really liked it because it taught kids how to play the game. It taught spacing. And so we implemented that with that group starting in second grade. And, and when I got the, the head job back, uh, I went from a continuity based type of offensive coach the first time to a pure motion five out, um, you know, concept now. And it's, it's changed the way I think about the game. It's changed uh, the way that we approach the game. And, and I'm also a very analytic uh, coach. So, so that kind of feeds into it as well. So you, you talk about the great tradition that Lake City has for basketball. How have you, if it was maybe your first time, maybe even as principal in the middle or your second time as head coach, how have you uh, helped establish and grow that basketball culture within the community? You know, it, Jerry Snyder, you know, like he was a legend and, and how Lake City won for many, many years was defense, uh, shot selection and smart team play. And I would say that has not changed with how we play right now. We are a defense first mentality team. I think we have a toughness with our kids, uh, very team oriented and very role driven with shot selection. And so those things haven't changed how we play the game has changed, but, but those haven't. Uh, it really starts with our youth. It really starts with our off season. And, you know, we have a, my mantra is no deposit, no return. It has been for 20 some years. 
And that is what my kids hear all the time in the off season. You know, we have a 300 hour club that really builds on that culture in the off season and, and kids kind of buy in and I'm, I'm kind of a big driveway guy. You know, I, we do some stuff obviously in the summer, but at the same time, I want kids to get in the driveway and get better individually. Um, that is their opportunity as I, I say to change your role on our team so that when we get there by winter, um, we can focus on the team um, more than anything. Uh, the off season's your opportunity to try to change your role. And the in season is, is to make our team the best team it can be. So you talk about your three, uh, 300 hour club. I know this is something that you presented on last fall at the NBCA clinic. Now for any coaches who are listening, who maybe dipped out, went to the bar a little early, uh, <laughs> can you go into uh, some details on what that 300 hour club looks like and what some of the, uh, just the details with that and what that, what that is? Yeah, basically we give a, we give the kids a calendar from uh, April one to October 31st. And we want them to write down all basketball related activities on that calendar. In addition, they set goals for themselves, um, goals for the off season that they have to fill out a, a form with. Uh, anything with the weight room, any basketball related activities. But we also give credit for playing fall and spring sports. We want kids to be multi-sport athletes. So they get you know X number of hours if they play a fall or spring sport. They get hours for doing service work in the community up to 20 hours. They get hours for making the honor roll. They get, uh, you know, for doing certain workouts or making so many free throws, they get a bonus hour. And basically kids write down their hours over the course of the off season. And if they, they reach 300, we reward them uh, at the start of the season with a t-shirt in front of, you know, all of our fans and student body, the first uh, game of the season. We do the same thing with our youth, except we, we do 150 hour club. Uh, and what I love about it is kids, they have to be committed. They have to be disciplined because they have to keep writing their hours down. And so it really focuses kids to do some of the skills that kind of meet, match the culture of our program too, which is to, you know, discipline and, you know, a lot of those things. So, you know, we've had, if I looked at our last five, six years, our kids who have been our key players, our top five, six guys every year have almost all hit the 300 hour club each year. So I think that has helped create the culture for the younger kids in our program to see and, uh, and match. How did you roll that out? And what was the reception uh, when, you, when you installed the 300-hour club? You know, I, I first did it my first go-around coaching, so it's probably been 20-some years ago. You know, I just presented it. And, you know, it went well the first seven years, but I would say it has thrived the last five years. And it's thrived because our leaders, our top players in our program have bought into it. And when the younger kids see the, you know, the, the Nate Heisey's, the Brady Kahinka's, the Mark Chosa's, the Reed Gassner's, all completing the 300 hour club, uh, it just feeds itself. And that's how you build a culture. You know, you have expectations, uh, things that are important to you, you share them, and then you just, you know, you got to kind of keep that ball rolling and hope that some of that success feeds off on younger people. What I like about that is it does, it doesn't put every, you know, a one size fits all approach to kids where you're saying you need to lift, you know, our team this year, we, you know, we won our section, unfortunately didn't get to play in the state tournament. Our senior group, bless their hearts, amazing, amazing kids in the classroom, hardworking, the, probably the smartest team of what we could do with scouting reports and film breakdown stuff. They were allergic to the weight room, right? But telling them that they need to lift weights for a hundred dollars in the summer, they would have looked it out at me and I thought it was crazy. 
right? But just allowing them, whatever that 300 hours looks like to them, I think is it really, you know, it's like an education, like in teaching, it's an individualized plan for each kid. And it's um, teaching to that kid's or coaching or teaching to that kid's strengths. I really like the, um, that it's not forcing every kid that you need to go make 10,000 shots or you need to lift a hundred, you know, 25 days. I just really like that. It's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. And you know, with that, you know, every kid has a different role on, on your team and not every kid is going to be a shooter. Not every kid is going to be a scorer. You know, we've had kids in our team that, you know, they, they don't score a lot of points, but they're a, a defender, rebounder, screener. And, you know, the weight room matters to them probably as much as anything. And, and that's going to make our team better too. So you're right. I think it does give a more individualized approach. Small town like Lake City, you mentioned before we recorded that you guys graduated about 100. Um, we're about, you know, 225, 230. It's about twice the size. So with your guys is within that 300-hour club, you talked about uh, community service. So what are some examples that kids in your program will do to give back to the community? Well, you know, the most obvious one is we have our summer camps. And so a lot of times our older kids are, you know, <laughs> My wife uh, cooks lunch every day for our kids that help out at summer camps. So um, we end up, and I don't really turn too many kids away for that. I'll, I'll have 15, 20 upperclassmen, you know, helping out with the younger kids at camp, which sometimes they're harder to manage than the kids at the <laughs> camp are. Um, but, you know, we feed them and, and it, that's a culture thing too, because, you know, I really feel like I have, I have a lot of control over our youth program. Um, I handpick our coaches from a young age. Um, I get to know the kids from second, third grade on really, really well. They connect with our older kids because our older kids are constantly at camps. And so, you know, that relationship is built from a very, very young age. And, and you can kind of mold kids and mold culture when you, when you see them a lot. Um, that's a benefit of being a 712 school too. And maybe in my role as a principal, you know, I'm in the lunchroom almost every day. And I, I am connecting with a lot of kids, not just our basketball kids, but um, you can mold kids and expectations for them on a daily basis uh, when you know them and when you see them. You mentioned your youth program. Uh, talk about some of the, you mentioned you were able to pick all of your coaches. What does your youth program look like? You said you're kind of have a lot of power with that. I know Dave Cressup, similar type community with Perham, uh, a thriving 2A basketball program, basketball community. So what are some ways that, or how, talk about your involvement in the youth program and if that's in the off season and then also uh, during the season. Yeah, you know, we, we've had some phenomenal youth coaches, coaches that get it, coaches who have played, who have had success that understand the importance of fundamentals. And when we've had that, um, you know, those kids get to our varsity level and have really, really good success. And so it's really important for me um, to, to pick those people and find those people and, and being in the community as long as I have, um, I'm pretty well connected and I kind of know kids coming up and I know parents and I, I reach out to them at a young age. Um, getting them running our five out motion from a young age is really important. Um, you know, one thing I learned from running motion five out offense is every time a kid passes and cuts, they're getting better. Every time they learn spacing, they're getting better. And sometimes in, in back in the day when you did a more of a continuity-based offense, you're teaching kids to be robots, in my opinion, and kind of run to spots. And what I really feel that we've done is we've just taught them how to play and give them the freedom to play. And that's really been the biggest difference in the development of kids, um, in my opinion. Um, we, 
you know, we play probably seven, eight tournaments a year. We practice two to three times a week at the elementary level. Uh, we've set it up so we have traveling, but we also have an elementary option within that. So if we have a fourth, fifth, sixth grader or a third, fourth, fifth, sixth grader that wants to play basketball but doesn't want to commit like a traveling kid does, they just come to practice on Mondays and they might only play in one or two of our Southeast League tournaments. So they're still connected with the team. They still get to participate, but they don't have to go all in like your traveling kids would. And so that creates opportunities for kids, which I think is important at a young age as well. Um, you know, that's really what our off-season program looks like. I don't do a ton of stuff in the fall and spring with kids. They're, they're so busy with other sports and other activities that, you know, I respect that. And I think I have to a little bit in my role too. And then in the summer, you know, we have the camps. Uh, we, we have two camps, uh, two weeks for the basically third through 10th grade. And, uh, you know, the 300-hour club, again, it encourages a lot of individual work in the driveway. And a lot of our kids are doing that. They're playing AAU and, you know, they're getting plenty of basketball. I said this with Josh Ortman uh, last week about five out at the youth level. And I think it is a huge disservice if a youth program or team isn't running five out. I just think you're, like you said, you're, you're building kids to be robots. You know, I see a lot of youth teams, they'll just go to flex or they'll go to, they think they're modern. They'll go to the ball screen continuity, which I think ball screen continuity is a, is a nice offense at the high school level, but now you're really only teaching, unless you're truly inverting that and you're having everyone play different spots. That's one thing. But if you start, you know, even four out motion, if that one kid who's your five, 10 fifth grader or whatever, maybe that's too big, but you get the idea then stops growing. That kid has no chance to make it at the varsity level. And so I just think by running five out at the youth level, you're just allowing everyone to develop, everyone to develop at their own pace. And you're not pigeonholing anyone as a, a post or a guard. Cause maybe the kid who can dribble all of a sudden becomes six, seven. Now you can be creative with them uh, when they're at high school and you can run some, you know, inverted offense type stuff with them. But I do want to get into your five out. Uh, so you've been running five out pretty much second grade on all the way up. Like you said, you had this group that you've coached for seems like what, 10, 11 years. Uh, and you've been running five out with them. So what are some of your main teaching points? Are you more passing cut? Are you more passing screen away? And what are some, what are some of your main actions or the, or the looks that you're trying to get out of that offense? You know, it's the one thing I love about what we do in, in our five out is that there's no guarantee each year what we're going to do. You can really build it around the talent that you have. Our last two years, we ran less five out um, because the personnel we had, and we ran more four out, one in, and I, and I did a lot more kind of two-man game stuff than I ever have, but that's because I had Nate Heisey, Reed Gassner, just phenomenal, talented kids, and I knew that every time that Nate gave up the ball, every team we were going to play is going to do everything in their power to not let him get it back. And so, you know, when you have someone like that, um, I had to adapt a little bit and, um, you know, keep the ball in his hands as much as we could. Uh, but this next year, we're going back to five out. I got a, a really probably a pretty young team and uh, there's some athletes and it's going to be a totally different style of play than what we've done the last year or two. But yeah, a lot of pass cut. Um, we've mixed in ball screens quite a bit. I, I do do quite a bit of ball screen action um, out of our five out or four out. Um, and then what I think is really important is you, you have to look at the strengths of your individual players and you got to put them in a position to do what they do best. Um, we tell the kids over and over again, be great at what you're good at. And so, 
whether it's you're a dribble handoff kid or you're a screen kid or you're a shooter or you're a creator, or you can post up or whatever it may be, you know, I will touch base with kids and put them in positions to do things in our five out that are going to make them be successful and us. And I think um, that's the fun part of coaching is it's almost like a chess game where you're looking at, here's my talent, here's my kids, what do they do well? What can I have them do well within the five out? And then how can we build that as our season progresses? And that's really kind of the approach I take combined with, you know, the, the biggies for us are our turnovers and shot selection. And if you look at why we have won uh, over the years, uh, those are the two things that stick out more than anything in terms of stats. And so that's something that we, we talk a lot about with our kids. I do want to come back to that turnovers and shot selection, how you discussed that, but I want to stay in the five out umbrella for now. Um, Going backwards here. So change of possession, uh, live ball. If it's a, uh, let's say you're getting a defensive rebound. Do you have, or made basket, do you have uh, set lanes in transition or because it's five out, you just are kind of guys are filling spots and you're looking to attack in transition. You know, this, this group I had the last two years has never ran the floor real well. um, Especially. All right, so a little technical difficulties on my end. So I didn't hear Coach for a second. So, Coach, uh, transition, what are you looking to uh, – where are you guys looking to run? Where are their spots? And how interchangeable is that? Yeah, I was, I was saying our, our group these last two years has not been a great transition team for they, – they never have even growing up. We would run off, you know, steals and so, so forth, but we didn't run a ton off of uh, defensive boards. Um, whereas prior to that, a couple years before, we – you know, we have a shell where we want kids to go, but it's pretty, pretty open. Um, I'm not real concrete in that. I, I want us to push the ball up the court, try to get into early offense, and then right into flow into our, our five out. Um, next year, we'll be running a whole lot more. Um, but yeah, we, we space the floor. We get guys to the corners. We, we usually have, you know, a post type player that's running the, you know, the rim. And uh, we'll, we'll probably drag screen behind, you know, with a, with a trailer. And that's, I try to keep it real simple, um, you know, but like I said, these last couple of years, we haven't been a great running team. It's team switching against you. Uh, you're running your five out, uh, or even if it's, you know, even when you run your two-man game stuff, what are your, what's your philosophy against switching? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have team, Caledonia um, is a team that switches all the time. They're, you know, top team in our section, so we have to be prepared for that. That's one reason I love the five out is, you know, if you set a lot of screens and you're running a continuity offense, a team like Caledonia is really going to hurt you uh, because they're switching all the time. They're used to it. And, and most teams you play against don't do that. So your kids aren't used to it. Um, when you run a five out and there's a lot of passing and cutting, um, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, you know, we do screen in our five out. We give kids options to screen away, but what we end up doing a lot is we slip a lot. Um, we'll slip ball screens. We'll slip screens away. Um, we will, um, roll back, uh, you know, on a screen, but I think, you know, you can take away a team's aggressiveness. If you start hitting a few back cuts, if you slip some screens and you stay spread out and for teams that are trying to switch all the time, they're generally trying to play very aggressive. And, uh, that's a benefit of the five out is uh, we've, we've been great and we drill it all the time. Just back cuts. We do a lot of two man passing in practice. We do a lot of passing and cutting. And uh, against teams that switch, um, we'll do a lot of uh, slips and then some certain sets that we run as well. 
What about a team that's really aggressive uh, off, off, uh, on the line, up the line, being denying those entry passes? What, what do you guys look to do then? You know, we kind of use the three-point arc as our read line uh, with traditional read and react, and we, we back cut off of that. Um, and, and those teams that are really aggressive, you, you have to burn them on back cuts. Um, that's how you have to slow them down. Uh, we'll have certain sets that, you know, we'll run also that, you know, will get us a, an easy bucket. Um, but spacing the floor um, is really, really important. We talk about spacing religiously. Um, teams that are that aggressive are going to create driving lanes for you. If they're more worried about getting their hand in the passing lane, they're going to create space, you know, for someone to get to the rim. And, and so, you know, we take advantage of those situations if we can um, with our, our guys uh, that are able to do that. You talked about uh, turnovers and shot selection. So I want to get into that. Those are your two big things or your non-negotiables uh, or maybe the turnovers are non-negotiable. Shot selection is something that's a huge core um, of your offense. So how do you have those conversations with kids and explaining like what a good turnover is? Because they're inevitable. We're going to have some turnovers. And then shot selection, and especially with those role guys who aren't Nathan Heisey uh, going to Northern Iowa, but a guy who is maybe your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guy. So how do you talk shot selection? And then how do you dis discuss what is a turnover you're okay with versus one that's completely unacceptable? Yeah, I, I think so much with turnovers and shot selection comes down to defining rules for your kids. If, if kids are trying to do things they're not good at, they're going to get themselves in trouble. They're going to get the team in trouble. And so first and foremost, clearly defining exactly what kids are good at and encouraging them to do that is, is really, really important. Um, you know, we track two stats, uh, a lot at effective field goal percent turnover rate. And then we also, you know, points per possession as well. And effective field goal rate is really shot selection to me. I mean, obviously we're not always going to have the, the best shooting teams in the world and our approach to how we're going to score might change from year to year, but shot selection, um, should never change. I've got some pretty amazing stats and, and, and I share these stats with our kids and they understand the importance of shot selection or turnover rate. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success the last six years. We've had some really, really strong players and, and really good teams, but we are 133 and six when we have a higher effective field goal percentage than our opponent. And so sharing that with kids, they get it. You know, the data shows them how important that is. And so when we talk about roles and shot selection, um, they, they, they get it. Um, and then we're 14 and 21 when we have a lower effective field goal percent. So from a success rate and win loss rate, that's a big stat. Um, and then turnover rate, you know, our goal is to be under 20% of our possessions each game. Uh, my first go around coaching, we would just have a goal of fewer than 10 turnovers a game. What I like about turnover rate is every game has different possession numbers. Um, some teams, you know, we've played faster, some slower, and the rate of possessions matters more. So we want to keep it under 20%. And, you know, this past year we were at 12%, which is unheard of from a, a turnover rate. But we've been at about 16.1% over the last six years. And, you know, so throwing data at kids, I mean, I'm a math guy, so I got a little math nerd in me. Um, but they see that and they see the success and it just helps create the culture. Points per possession, what's your magic number with that? Uh, one. 
1.0 and then we want to keep our opponents under 0.85. Um, we've, we've been 1.14 points per possession the last six years. And you, you talk about also analytics because you go five out and I don't know if you've seen the same thing with, with shot selection, you know, I don't ever tell our kids, I, I've never really told them we do not take mid range jumpers, but very few of our shots are mid range jumpers because five out and our sets and what we do kind of put you in that mode. And then you throw analytics and data at kids and they see that as well. Um, but we want to, you know, we want to work inside out. We always, we realize that you can get inside a lot of different ways. And, but we have shot in the last six years, 1,546 more three pointers than our opponents. And we have made 726 more threes than our opponents. We've had some phenomenal shooters. Um, so I'm not saying that that's, going to be our approach every single year um but the three-point shot has has really changed the game and it creates space for a guy like you know nate like nate this year nate heisey teams switched their whole way of guarding us this year they basically said we can't let jake wallers reed gaster and some of these guys kill us with threes uh we can't leave them and we got to just take our chances a little bit more with nate than we would have in previous years well, Nate scored 30 a game this year because of that reason. You know, it's kind of that you take what the defense gives you a little bit. That's, uh, yeah, that's crazy because, you know, I, you, everyone's watching the last dance, right? You see on Twitter, everyone's tweeting about it. And the one thing that's so, like, mind-boggling to me is, like, you watch a guy like Steve Kerr or in a bigger sense like John, uh, John Stockton who are, like, 45 48% <laughs> career three-point shooters. Like, if those dudes have been playing now, like, Steve Kerr have been playing to have a lot bigger role in today's NBA. Obviously, he's installing that with his guys on the Warriors. Uh, but, like, a guy like John Stockton, his, he would only be even higher up on whatever, wherever he is if – I mean, I haven't went that far down. I have my top five or so, but if he's 28th or 30th or wherever he is on the top, you know, 50 players of all time, his numbers would be even higher if he was playing in today's game, just with the analytics we have. And it's looking at it from a backwards lens. It's so like obvious, like why aren't people shooting more threes, but that just wasn't the culture of it. And, um, you know, I, I think I joked about something on Twitter, um, the Michael Jordan trailblazers game in like 92 uh, in the, in the championship when he had the shrug the shoulders game, it's like, he made five threes in the first half. Like, shouldn't that have been like, maybe Michael just shoot more threes. Like they're worth more points, but you know, it's funny to see now the high school games coming along. Like you mentioned, you, you're ahead of the curve with how much you've shot. It, ha- it helps that you have good shooters. So what are some ways that you instill that confidence or create shooters? I know it's probably not all form shooting, right? It's a lot of them. It's a mentality. So what are some ways that you instill confidence in your guys? Um, you know, it starts with form. I, I, I really believe if you don't have good form by the time you get to the varsity level where the game is so much faster, uh, good luck turning into a shooter. I, I think it's just really, really hard. So we, you know, we obviously drill that at a young age and get on the chair and do a lot of one hand shooting, things like that. Um, and then it's repetition and confidence. But I also think, um, you know, shot selection is, is a big deal. I mean, you know, if you're taking good shots, most high school kids that are going to shoot a catch and shoot rhythm three have a good chance of making it. Um, so, you know, making sure that you wait for the best shot and taking a good shot is a big part of shooting percentage um, and building confidence. Uh, because if you're not making shots, you're not going to be confident and it kind of turns into a domino effect. You know, we've had two kids um, that have 
been career 45% plus three-point shooters that are in the national record books because of that. Um, one of them is a senior this year, Jake Wollers. Um, that was his role. And he was a sniper in terms of a shooter. And he, he was a perfect fit for, for Nate and Reed. Because if you sagged off him at all, he was going to make you pay. Mark Chost played a point guard for us. He's playing at Jamestown right now. Um, he had to create a lot more of those threes on his own and he had range forever. Um, but you know, and, and with that being said, Nate, who didn't shoot quite as high a percentage, maybe, um, a better shooter, um, arguably, I'm sure that I'm going to get in an argument with those three. <laughs> um, but Nate, Nate's shot selection had to be different the last couple of years and he forced some shots, which I was okay doing. How do you drill shooting in practice? You know, we shoot a lot. We have some competitive drills that we do, and I think competitive drills are, are huge. Um, our, our kids shoot a lot on their own, too, um, you know, whether they can get in on the weekend or on their driveway or whatever it may be. But, you know, we spend 20, 30 minutes a day shooting and, uh, you know, a lot of repetition. We don't practice a long time, uh, but a, a good chunk of our, our practice is shooting. And like I said, it's, it's form, it's confidence, and then it's – it's uh, shot selection and just putting them in a position to be successful. I'm going to come back to the analytics here because just something came to me as you were talking. Uh, you mentioned the turnover percentage, the effective field goal percentage and the points per possession. Are you tracking that in the game? And if you are, how are you using that to like at halftime to make changes? Or if not, what are some things you are looking to track during the game? Um, you know, during the game, we don't, I don't get that technical. I, I kind of go more of the field during the game and I, I look at it, I reflect on the game after and watching the film and all of that. Um, you know, we're obviously looking at uh, turnovers and um, what type of shots we're getting. And, you know, really defensively during the game, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking defensively as much as anything during the game. Um, but yeah, I, I use it more as I don't want to over, I, I don't want to be over analytical for our kids either. I just want them to play and play freely. So most of that is done, you know, during practice. So you mentioned Nate Heisey, obviously averaged 30 points a game, Mr. Basketball finalist, uh, Division One kid. Uh, your team isn't many HaHa Academy. You're not Hopkins. You're not a team that has, you know, maybe multiple Division One athletes or five, six, seven scholarship level kids on, on your team at a given time. And so how do you with your – I mean, you're a good team. So, like, no knocking your other guys. I know they want other kids going to Division Two school. Uh, and so you had a good – obviously had a really talented team. But you have a kid like that that's a Division One uh, caliber kid. You and I, good school. All right. And so how do you challenge him daily in practice to get to make practice valuable and also help the team, but also challenging him as an individual? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. What makes, what made it even more challenging this year is, you know, these kids are the same age as my son. I've known most of these kids since, you know, they came out of the womb, a lot of them um, in a small town. And so I, you know, with a lot of these kids, I'm not just a coach to them. I'm, you know, I'm Greg, I'm, they've known me since they've been little there. And I've, you know, I've had hundreds upon hundreds of practices with them because I coached them in, you know, second, third, fourth grade until I got the varsity job again. So uh, it made it a little bit unique and challenging this year because they knew me too well. I knew them too well. Um, we really made, you know, Nate, Nate is a guy that he thrives off competition. And that is why I guarantee you um, he's going to go to UNI and he is going to thrive because when he's with guys that are going to challenge him on a daily basis, he, he's just wired that way. He has an edge to him. 
Um, and he has been working his tail off since the season ended to get ready for you and I. Um, but it, it's hard. It's hard in a small school where we don't have a lot of guys that could challenge Nate. You know, Reed obviously could. You know, Justin Wohler is another kid on our team. And, you know, but it's hard to put kids in a position to do that. Um, we, we had pretty short practices this year because these kids knew me. I knew them. There wasn't a lot new and, and I didn't want to bore them. And, and so it was short and sweet a lot. Um, we would do a lot of small side games. If I need to challenge kids to, you know, do two on two, three on three. And I'd, I'd have Nate and Reed working against each other. Um, you know, which can be good and bad because they, they challenge each other. They're both competitive and that brings out, um, the competitive juices. So it's hard in a small school. Um, you know, but you gotta be creative and find different ways to, to still make it competitive. You talked about short practices. How short are we talking and how, how does December look different than February? You know, we'll go probably two hours to start the year um, in December. Um, Once I hit January, we're probably about an hour and a half. And I'd say the last month of the year, we're an hour to an hour and 15. And we might go for 45 minutes and then go watch film for 20, 30 minutes. We watch a lot more film as we get to the end of the season and we start seeing a team for the second time or getting ready for the tournament. We're going to watch a lot more film at that time. But um, I am a... You know, I'm a big believer in trying to keep kids fresh, um, you know, by the end of the season. And, and you know, we don't I, – I, we do not lift. I know this is a little bit contradictory to what a lot of people do. Um, I encourage kids to lift individually. I, a lot of them go to Anytime Fitness on their own, and they're lifting all season long. But we do not take practice time to lift as a team. Um, it's hard – it was hard for me to find a way to do it consistently – and I'm just so conscious of keeping them fresh and, you know, having two, three, three and a half hour practices with everything else going on. I think that just hurts your kids by the time you get to the end of the season, at least, you know, maybe in a smaller school, it's different, but that's how I feel here. We've lifted one time in the last two years. Uh, and I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's tough because if a kid hasn't lifted all year, I mean, there's the old school, like get in there, get sore and you should have been more prepared. You kind of got to meet kids where they're at. If this kid doesn't want to lift, probably lifting in November and December is going to hurt his performance on the court. It's going to burn him out because those are muscles that haven't been fired up. And I know there's coaches who lifting is an important part of their program and that's great. Um, I just think it's as long as you're doing what you believe in, I'm in the same boat with you. I'd rather go 90 minutes on the court hard up and down where they're exhausted and then be done. Cause like you said, kids are kids. They got AP classes, maybe some of jobs, you know, it's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on and, you know, keeping a kid at a gym in February for three hours, I think you get a return on investment. Uh, last question here. Uh, advice for a first year head coach. Now you've coached obviously now for 15 years, uh, two different stints. What is something if I'm uh, a new coach is listening to this, what's some advice that you would give them? Um, you know, first and foremost, it's, and I think the longer you're in it, you, you realize that it, this is about relationships with kids more than anything. You know, I, I think I knew that as a first, my first go around coaching, but you don't really feel it until maybe you start having your own kids or you're around longer and you, you go through things and you really understand this is about memories, experiences, and relationships. In the end, uh, they're not going to remember every single game they played in, you know, but they're going to remember the experiences and memories that they have along the way. So just always remember that. Uh, and then two, I, I think just in working with, with parents and the community, um, things like 
passion and organization and them knowing that you love your love their kid and are, are working your tail off to, to help the team and their kid go a long way. And I, I think, you know, when coaches may run into some challenges with, with parents or whatnot, you know, you got to fall back on the relationship, the kid and clear expectations and communication that you've had from the get go. Um, they may not always agree with what you're doing, but if you're very clear and upfront with the kid and the parent as to what you're doing and why, it is what it is, and, and you have to agree to disagree at times. I've had very few, very, very few in all my 14 years of, of parents' issues, and I, I think it's because they know how much time I put in, they know how much I care about the kids, and I try to be incredibly organized and efficient with parents so they know exactly what the expectations are. So, Coach, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I just want to say uh, – we, I've seen your teams play twice. Once was uh, we played before two seasons ago. We weren't coaching at the uh, uh, this pace setter Sweet Sixteen. Um, but also, you know, you you your team was at the state tournament two years ago. Uh, we both played in our respective third place games. You guys played before us, and you know that year when, especially for us, we hadn't been to the state tournament in eighty seven years, and it was like we have to go to state. We have to go to state. I don't think I sat back and just watched a basketball game all year. Even like the Timberwolves, like everything yeah. I was doing, I was so invested in whatever we need to do to to make sure we get to the state tournament. But that third place game, so we're playing Austin. We just came off getting hammered by De La Salle two days before. Had a nice loose practice. Came back to, to St. Paul, and I just we just sat and watched your guys' game versus Perman. Honestly, it was so relieving. It was such a fun basketball game. And you know, a lot of people, I think, just kind of look past those consolation games and stuff. But, man, watching you and Cressup and your teams go at it, two really well-coached um, rural communities that play the game the right way, it was a ton of fun. And I honestly think it was the only game I sat back and just watched know that whole season and I just want to say I love how your teams play how your team plays um obviously you're gonna have a little talent drop off um from the from the high-end guys that you've had this year but I guarantee you'll be right back in there competing with Caledonia here for a section title uh next season so coach thanks for joining us I really appreciate it yeah thanks Brett appreciate it and thanks for uh for doing this it's it's a phenomenal thing for our our lakes or not just Lake City but our entire Minnesota basketball community thank you thank you